Good morning, Agora Bible Fellowship. Yeah, there we go. Good morning. That was the test this morning to see if you guys were alert or you guys are suffering from Christmas coma. Uh, I know I am. Uh, my name is Chris Kerner. I'm the junior high pastor at ABF. Hi, hi. Got some of the old students here. Ooh, this is going to be fun. I didn't get, I didn't, I didn't even get an applause in the first service. I'm kidding. I did, I did, I did. Don't, don't pity me. Uh, I hope you guys have all had an amazing Christmas and wonderful time with friends. Uh, you guys are smiling. That means you guys have had a good week. Uh, I'm so excited to be here with you this morning. Usually, as the junior high guy, I only speak uh, during the week of 4th of July when no one is here. Now I get to speak the week after Christmas when a little more people are here, but uh, no, I, I'm kidding. Uh, I, I also serve as the, as the spiritual life director at Hillcrest Christian School where I teach high school Bible and all that. So anytime I'm available and I'm free, it, it's always a blessing to, to be here at home with you guys, uh, to, to speak with you guys. Uh, so uh, Pastor Scott is in Canada. Uh, his wife, you know, his, she's from uh, Canada and, and they're visiting there. And I don't know if you know this, but Scott's fairly adventurous. Like, he's a, he's a, he's a big-time skier. And uh, I actually got a video this morning of him skiing. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to share with you guys uh, just the type of pastor that you have. Uh, so here's Pastor Scott. Uh, you know, this dude is amazing. I mean, he, it's incredible how brave he is. Um, they're still finding him. Um, I'm kidding. No, that's not real. That's fake. Um, he, he'll be here. He'll be here next week. He probably is skiing. I don't think he would do that. Uh, but uh, anyways, I had a little fun with you this morning. Uh, uh, and on another note, again, congratulations to uh, Chad and Erica and the Riser uh, family uh, for their fourth child. Uh, baby fever at ABF is like real. Like it's not even like baby palooza. Like there was like, what, 89 babies born here at ABF? This is seriously, it was like late 20s. Um, and uh, it's awesome because Josh and I, being the youth guys, we're like job security, man. Like, keep those <laughs> babies coming. And so much, this is how real baby fever is. Uh, I don't know if you've heard, but there's a picture up. Yep. Um, yeah, it took you a second. You're like, well, what's going on? Baby number four, Kerner baby number four is coming. She, she is coming May uh, 2020. Well, obviously, this, uh, 2020. Uh, yeah, thank you. We are, yes, it's crazy. We are very excited. Uh, we are a little nervous, uh, but we're like, ah, we're pros, kind of, and we have older kids, but super excited. So many babies here to celebrate. We're, we're fairly, uh, we're really eager. Um, time is flying by so quick. I'm thinking like she's going to be here in a few months. I'm going to blink and she's going to be here. And time is just going by so quick. And, and I, we look forward to the holidays. And then if you think about it, like Christmas is already almost over. And it's already almost 2020. And I'm not trying to depress you, but it's crazy how fast time goes. And I love the holidays. Like I love the time between Thanksgiving and New Year's, and more specifically, the time between Thanksgiving and Christmas, because everyone is just nicer. Like, do you guys agree with me? Like, people are just, uh, they're more welcoming, they're nicer, they're more joyful, they're more lighthearted, uh, students are nicer, like, I don't know, because they're out of school, that's why. But, like, everyone is just more caring and more selfless. 
people are just more selfless. And when I think about the holidays, the word selflessness sticks out to me because I see that this actually takes a little bit of work. Do you guys agree with me? Like being selfless takes a little bit of effort. Selflessness, as you know, is being concerned more about others than one's own needs. I think this actually takes work. I think that's why it's so special during the holidays. And I think that's why people love the holidays, because people are just so unselfish. I know that we have all have experienced someone putting either yourself or someone else before them. And when this happens, it's humbling and it makes you feel gracious. I've been fortunate enough in my life to have, have a lot of um, unselfish people. And, and when I think about the people in my life, two really kind of stick out to me. The first one uh, is my father-in-law, Scott Lubert. I think he's in. Is he in somewhere? No? Yep. Yep. There he is. Yes. Everyone say hi, Scott. Uh, so he has no, he has no idea what I'm about to say. Uh, but, uh, so I was, uh, Josh and I, we were roommates in college. This is like in 2004 and this is before he was given my father-in-law. So this kind of shows like the type of person like, uh, he is, but, uh, we, uh, we were in Chicago and I was coming back home, which was in San Francisco. And so Josh and I are like, Hey, let's road trip. Awesome, yeah, why not? So we packed up my Hyundai Tiburon, which was an awesome car, and I loaded everything up there. It was an awesome car, don't laugh, it was fun. It was great. Uh, it was tiny, but it was awesome. So we're driving from Chicago to California, and it's a long trip, and we're going to have fun with this. So we're in Iowa, in the middle of Iowa. Who's been in the middle of Iowa? <laughs> What's there? Some corn? Nothing. So, yeah, I heard a family. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. I'm not trying. Anyways, we're driving through Iowa. Then all of a sudden, the car stops working. Like, it just dies out, and we pull over, and we're in the middle of Iowa. So, we're like, we're going to have to, like, hitchhike. I don't even know if we might have had cell phones. This is kind of dating us. But so Josh and I were on the side of the road. No, we didn't have cell phones because we hitchhiked. And so we, we literally hitchhiked like in the movies. And uh, this guy in this semi truck pulls over. And we're like, well, it's daylight. So at least for that. <laughs> and we're like, so my car died. I, I promise the story's going somewhere. And. Uh, and there, I was like, where's the closest shop? I need to get it, uh, you know, towed. And he's like, it's, oh, it's like just 20 miles down that way. And I was like, okay. So we load up in the truck. So Josh and I were like, are we going to like make it to California? Like, I don't know. We get there. We ended up spending like eight hours in this garage in the middle of Iowa because they had to like uh, get the part. It was the alternator that went out. And are alternators expensive or are they cheap? They're fairly expensive. So Josh and I were watching Dumb and Dumber, but during this time, I'm like, how? It was on TV. It was awesome. We're like, this is actually pretty cool. Uh, so we were watching Dumb and Dumber, but the whole time, I'm like, how am I going to be able to, to afford an alternator? I'm like some, this broke college kid, and I'm just trying to get home. So I called the one guy that I think could possibly help me out, and Scott, he, he told me, he's like, we're going to figure it out. I'll figure it out. And, and he ended up buying the alternator for me. I don't think I ever paid him back because you never asked. You never asked. Uh, but I married your daughter and I'm giving you four grandkids. So there you go. I'm just kidding. Uh, but 
but he a wedding present. There you go. But he bought that alternator, and I was able to get home. It's funny as I was, as I was thinking about the story. Josh showed very unselfish behavior because I ran out of gas money in Sacramento. And uh, he actually bought my last full tank of gas to get me to San Francisco. And he bought me lunch because I didn't have any money. Uh, so, uh, but Josh isn't the second person I was going to talk about, although he made his way in there. The second person I wanted to talk about um, is my mom. And, and I, talk to her, I talk about her uh, often when I speak. Uh, this woman was a single mom. She worked the graveyard shifts at a nursing home as a nursing home assistant. She worked all through the night to make sure that she was at home uh, from, uh, to see me and my brother off to school. And I remember, uh, I was a shoe guy then, I'm a shoe guy now. I love basketball shoes, I love collecting them. And I remember I wanted this pair of Jordans, um, Air Jordans, but I'm not even kidding, like the it, it would take her two days of pay to be able to afford them. And uh, I remember it was her tax refund. And, uh, and I think she had plans to maybe do something special for her. But she actually bought me those Air Jordans. And uh, it was really sweet. It made an impact on me. And I just remember um, she would just buy people things at the nursing home, like uh, uh, people who lived there who didn't have much. She would spend her own money. This, this act of just being completely selfless putting others before her. And uh, if we think about it, we've all had these moments when people put us before them, and it felt amazing. And during November of 2018, not that long ago, if you remember the borderline shooting and all the fires, we saw endless people, firemen and paramedics and doctors on call and police officers. As we were all escaping, they were entering in. And we all benefited from their selfless acts. Can we agree with that? Yeah? And I personally believe from my experience, the practice of selflessness naturally turns into serving others and over time develops a heart of a servant. A heart of a servant is what we'll be talking about this morning. And this is ultimately what Jesus demonstrated and desires us to have, a servant's heart. And this got me thinking, we're a church filled with amazing people that consider each other family. And I've witnessed this church community pour into each other time and time again. And this morning, I want to continue to encourage us about what if, what if we were a church that had the reputation for having a mentality of putting others first, a heart for caring for others, a heart for serving, not just because we're Christians and not just because of that's our duty, but because Jesus is so present in our church and in our lives that we naturally start to mirror him. Can you imagine? Let me pray for us as we uh, dive in. Father God, we thank you so much for this church, Lord. We thank you uh, just for the energy, Lord. We thank you that you are present. We thank you, Lord. We thank you that you are the ultimate servant, Lord. May you uh, open our eyes and ears this morning as we read your word. And we thank you that you're here. And we love you so much. It's your name we pray. Amen. Well, I think there are two main qualities that are needed in order to have a servant's heart. And this is just my opinion, but I think they're biblical. These two qualities just poured out of Christ. He possessed these qualities. And as I tell my students all the time, we 
are made in his image. We are his sons and daughters. And when we accept and follow him, we naturally inherit, we naturally inherit these qualities. These two qualities, these two traits is this. The first one is to love other people. When you follow God, you just start loving people easier. And the second one is to have humility. So the two traits are to love other people. And the second is to have humility. It sounds easy. But is it? Sometimes. Sometimes not. To love other people and to have humility. It looks good on paper. But to actually live it out consistently can be challenging. We know that Jesus was the ultimate servant during his life on earth because he willingly gave up his life for us. Uh, We just celebrated Christmas, right? The fact that Jesus chose to come to be born in a manger filled with farm animals to ultimately die for our sins. In Mark 10, 45, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I teach high school Bible uh, at the school, and a couple of weeks ago, uh, this semester, I'm teaching on the life of Jesus and, the, and his ministry, and I got parents' uh, permission to uh, show them the movie, The Passion of the Christ. I don't know if you guys have seen it. I'm sure you guys have, uh, but the director had a very authentic look um, in, in showing uh, the flogging and the crucifixion, and it was amazing to just kind of be reminded the fact that Jesus chose to do that. It was interesting to watch kind of the students' face and their reaction. Some of these students have been Christians for a long time. But to see them, to actually see what Jesus went through, and the fact that he chose to serve us that way. But here's the thing about Jesus. He didn't just serve us on the cross. He didn't just serve the one time on the cross. He also served consistently through his life. It wasn't just a one-time thing. You see, being selfless needs to be a way of life, not just a stir of the moment every once in a while. And that's what my, my father-in-law and my, my mom understand. That's what they do. That's what they live by. We're going to turn into the Gospel of John. That's where we're going to uh, be spending the next few moments. And so go ahead and turn in the Gospel of John. Chapter 13, verses 3 through 5, just a short passage here, but we see that Jesus gives a wonderful example of showing complete humility and love for others here. Gospel of John, chapter 13, verses 3 through 5. Little backstory here. This is Jesus' last night. This is the famous, the last supper with his disciples. He's about to take communion. He's about to show them and teach them what's going to happen. I bet they have no idea what, really what's going to happen, but he's spending these last few moments with them. They're in the upper room, and Jesus knows that his time is coming to an end. He's got one last meal with his disciples. So we're going to pick it up here, verse 3. Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, 
tied it around his waist, and then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, this story we've all read before, and sometimes when we read the Bible, uh, we, we kind of just blaze through the words. If you're like me, like I've, if I've read the story, maybe sometimes I even skim through the words. And I tell students all the time, like, you, read the passage, read it twice. And they hear me say it every week. Read it the first time just to kind of like understand it. And then read it a second time. That way it can kind of like sit with you. So we're going to read it a second time. And we're going to do what I do with my students, okay? So John 13, 3 through 5, if you weren't there already. <clears throat> Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. So many times when we blaze through the words and we skim through the scriptures, we miss an important thing. It's called, it's called context. Context is very important. And it makes stories more interesting. Uh, many of you know, but uh, I actually have a, an MFA, a master's in fine arts, uh, in film, television, and production. And uh, for three years full-time, we studied uh, production and screenwriting and acting and just really breaking down uh, scripts and theater and all that. And we really had a, a strong emphasis in context. Because in context, in the context is where you find the layers in the character's emotion and reason for what they're doing and why. I studied context in all these areas in grad school, and I did professionally for some time. But what's amazing is that I've been able to look at God's word, the scriptures, through this lens. And when you look at God's word with context, man, it screams out to you. So I'm hoping this morning I can just share a couple of things with you that maybe sometimes we miss about the washing of the feet of the disciples here. And I said that there were two traits that I believe, uh, love and humility to others equals a heart of the servant. The first trait we see is the love of Jesus Loving others no matter what. And then in this setting, remember we talked about context. The setting in this passage, this is the very last time that Jesus is with his disciples. For three years he's been with them. They've shared life. They've shared meals. But this is the last time. Jesus knows that he is going to be arrested and ultimately crucified in a few hours. Jesus knows that his time is coming to an end. Jesus knows that everything he says will be his last words with them. And what's interesting is that we see in this setting that Jesus rose from the supper table to wash the feet. And now I'm thinking, okay, if I only have a couple hours with, with the disciples, I'm not going to waste my time on that. But he saw that there was a teaching moment here. That there was something to teach them and for generations to come. It was very, I mean, Jesus could have been like, you know what, this is not my house, I'm not going to deal with it. Uh, who cares about a little dirt on the floor? I, I got other things I need to talk about. But we see that Jesus makes the priority with the amount of time, with the little amount of time that he has to wash their feet. 
So we see that Jesus rose from the supper table, and and at a home in Israel, uh, at the door, you would have a basin, you would have a bowl. Now this was the oldest, it's not old, don't tell my wife I said it's old, but this is a bowl that I feel like could have maybe passed as an Israeli bowl, I don't know. But uh, at a door at a house, you would have a basin with water, and the host would have a servant that would take the bowl and get down on their knees. And if they didn't have a servant, the host would just kind of have it there uh, for the people to wash their feet. And the servant would get down on their knees with the bowl of water and a towel. Don't worry, I'm not going to wash anyone's feet. <laughs> First service, the guy was like, don't worry, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not there yet, so I'm kidding. Uh, but we see that there'd be someone that would take the feet because the reason why you would wash your feet before you enter someone's house, just like the way some of you take off your shoes before you enter someone's house, because you're walking on the dirt and you're walking on the filth and you don't want to carry that in into uh, the, the, the house. So there would be a bowl of water with the towel and then a servant would go down on their knees and touch the water and grab the foot and would, to, and would begin to gently wash the feet of, the, of his guests. And what's interesting about this is that we see that Jesus does this. But did you catch how many disciples' feet he washed? How many? All of them. If you think about all of them, you think about Jesus bending a knee And he grabs the disciple who he knows is going to deny him three times in the next few hours. Do you ever think about that? Peter, who walked with Jesus, who was one of Jesus' closest disciples and friends, who shared life with him. Jesus knows that Peter is going to abandon him. And yet, in this moment, we see that Jesus grabs Peter's foot and reaches his hand in the water and starts to wash him. I don't know if I could have done that. If you think about the people in your life, the people who are closest to you, what if you knew that they were going to turn their back on you when the moment things got hard? If you knew that, would you still be able to serve them in this loving way? I honestly don't think I could. There's another person that we see that Jesus washes the feet of. And this one actually just blows me away. And maybe you've heard this, but Jesus knew what Judas was going to do. And Jesus takes the bowl, bends a knee to Judas reaches into the water, grabs Judas's feet. Judas, the disciple responsible for the arrest of Jesus. Judas is responsible for what's going to be the torture of Jesus. Judas is responsible for what's going to be the crucifixion of Jesus. And Jesus knows this, but yet he grabbed his foot, his feet, and lowered himself and washed them. Unbelievable. 
Can you imagine how awkward that moment was for Judas? When you talk about context, what was Judas thinking at this time? Do you think Judas even made eye contact with him? I don't know if he would. But I bet Jesus was making eye contact with him. It's interesting. <laughs> like, I think about this and it blows me away. <clears throat> My brother-in-law is from Boston and uh, he's a huge Celtic fan. And uh, I'm a Laker fan. And when his Celtics beat my Lakers, like, I can't even look at him. Like, I can't even talk to him because I get so frustrated and so competitive. I'm like, just leave me alone. And then I think, but Jesus washed Judas's feet. The guy responsible for his arrest and torture and death. Wow. It puts things in perspective. We see here that Jesus demonstrates the first trait, love. Just unconditional love. He's holding Judas' feet and there's no bitterness, there's no judgment, there's no hatred, there's no frustration. Just a heart of a servant loving his son. Let's talk about the second trait, humility. We're going to talk about feet. So if you don't like feet, you may leave. Uh, feet, okay, you have to have them to wash them. And uh, what's interesting is that I'm not a foot person. Like, I think feet kind of gross me out. But here's the thing. Yep, I heard a yep. I'm not the only one. Makes me feel better. Uh, think about your feet right now. Okay, they might be sweaty, you might have the warm socks on, but they fail in comparison of how the disciples' feet would be. We're going to talk about feet and how dirty they would be. Okay, so again, I'm giving you a warning here, okay, but you know, believe me, I have seen gross feet, okay, I've seen gross feet. I take kids to Hume every year, so uh, Josh and I, we take like 80 students to, to uh, 80 high school and junior high students uh, every summer to Hume, and uh, there's kids that like, as soon as they get off the bus, like they get off the bus without shoes and sandals, and they don't put sandals on again until they leave, and I've see, we've seen some like banged up feet because they just walk around camps, and actually I, I have a, a, a picture of a kid from Hume this last summer, don't worry, I have his uh, parents' uh, permission uh, to show this. Uh, this, just to kind of give you a little insight of what I do at Hume. So uh, I hear my name across the camp, Crass, Crass. Jeremy, you were here for this, right? Yeah, Crass, get over here. I'm like, oh gosh, what's broken? Who needs stitches? What's going on? And Jake, again, he's barefoot. I think this was day one. Uh, He's, he's going across like gravel road. He's going across like everything. And he's got a fishing pole like hooked into his like, not his skin, but like deep into his like shorts here. And he's walking and his feet are getting like dirty and, and banged up. And he has this fishing pole like dragging. And I'm like, what? what? Only, only middle schoolers, right? It took us like an hour, no joke, to get it out. I think we had to cut it out. He ends up doing it again later on. Like, I think it's the same. Jeremy, was it the same kid? Yeah. Yeah. To his sleeping bag. Anyways, that's whatever. But as you can tell, like, he, he, his feet are shown in. So I believe me, I, I know about gross feet. But I want to put in perspective how gross the disciples' feet, because this is going to paint Jesus' humility in another picture. 
The disciples only wore sandals. We know that. They weren't Nikes or Adidas. But they weren't those fancy leather-strapped sandals that I see around. You know, the ones with the leather straps here, and then here, and then the super cushion ones. These, these sandals were just standard sandals. The disciples would often walk miles a day on dirt and uneven cobblestones and, and uneven pavements with rocks, and, and they would walk... And they would stub their toes. They would bang up their feet. When I was in Israel a couple years ago, we were walking on this uh, road, this pathway that would actually was like the same one that Jesus walked on. It was amazing. Uh, I don't know why I didn't bring the picture. It would have been a good one, but I didn't. Uh, but I remember walking on it, and you're looking at everything. All of a sudden, you, you bang your, your toe because it's uneven. So the disciples would be walking on these types of roads with their feet completely uncovered. Who here has ever like stubbed your toe or even worse, like lost a toenail? Like it's okay, no shame, like we're all friends here, right? <laughs> Done it, okay? That was like every day for them. Okay, can I get a little, little more gross here with you guys? That's what happens, I'm sure, yeah. That's what happens when you get a youth pastor up here, right? So I coached high school basketball. Uh, and a couple of weeks ago, even we had a. Uh, it was halftime at a game, and one of my players, the shoe was coming off, and I'm like, "What's going on?" And the sock was filled with blood. I warned you. And as I'm watching it, I'm starting to get lightheaded because I don't handle blood very well. And as the sock, no joke, as the sock is coming off, um, the skin next to the toe is completely ripped off, and the toenail is gone. And I got to thinking, huh, can they still play? Eh, I'm competitive. But also, wow, that's kind of like what it would have been like with these feet of these disciples. These feet that the disciples have, they weren't nice and beautiful, like coming out of pedicures, right? I mean, they were mangled the feet were physically destroyed because of what they walked on every single day, constantly stubbing their toes, bruises, scrapes, cuts, banged up toes and toenails. But it gets worse than just the physical damage. Did you know that on these roads and paths that the disciples walked on, also did animals? Yep. Donkeys and goats and sheep. And guess what animals do when they eat a lot and drink a lot? We'll just call it like animal aftermath, okay? Because I was trying to figure out a conservative way of saying it. We'll call it animal <coughs> aftermath, okay? So as these, these disciples are walking on roads filled with rocks and gravel and dirt and filth all day, they're also walking on animal after, uh, almost said afterbirth, <laughs> aftermath. <laughs> they're walking on animal aftermath throughout the whole day. Hence why if you're coming to someone's home, oh, you're washing those bad boys. <laughs> These feet were disgusting. These, their feet, these, these disciples' feet, they were mangled and smashed and cut and smelly and filthy. And layers of hard mud and animal aftermath. But yet, the Son of God, the Messiah, the King of Kings, 
stepped down from heaven, came to earth, and got down on a knee and took the bowl and water and started scraping and cleaning and peeling back the layers of crud on these disciples' feet. Talk about humility. Talk about being humble and putting others first before you. Talk about lifting others above you. Selflessness displayed here. We can learn a lot here. Being humble and loving is what Jesus was and is all about and what we are to mirror as his children. And we honor his example of servanthood by humbly serving others in our daily lives and loving people unconditionally. And we're going to end with this passage. I love this passage that Peter wrote. It's 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 8 through 10. And I love that Peter writes this. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly. Since love covers a multitude of sins, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Let me talk about context while Peter's writing this. I wonder if Peter knew something about unconditional love. I wonder when Peter was writing this, if he was remembering Jesus washing his feet, even though he denied him three times. I wonder if Peter, while writing this, remembered that terrible feeling of hearing that rooster crow. I wonder if Peter remembered what it was like when Jesus showed hospitality by bending a knee and serving him and Judas. I personally think Peter here is speaking to us through his experience and lessons learned. So my question to us to end our time this morning, if we are supposed to serve others as an example of how Jesus served us, what are some simple ways that we can serve each other here at ABF, maybe at home, maybe at work? I wrote down a couple of daily ones for me. First one is this. This is a silly one, but it's, it's true. Let people drive in front of you. <laughs> Let them go in front. It's real. It's real, people. And here's the thing. Even when they don't have their blinker on. Huh? You're talking about humility? Letting them go ahead of you so they can say that two seconds? Okay, see? You hear it. Or maybe this one. When you're waiting in line to use the restroom, maybe the person behind you, maybe that's a simple way to let them go. To let them go in front of you. You know, the person that's like really dancing, like maybe let them go in front of you. Or more, maybe on a more serious note, maybe stepping out of your comfort zone and helping to buy a meal for someone in need. Here at ABF, we have a wonderful program, a wonderful ministry, uh, the Caneo Valley Meal Program, where once a month, um, we, uh, we help provide a meal for those in need in our community. So maybe, maybe the next step for us is to serve in that or serve consistently or continue to do that. Maybe another one is 
to serve our church. We have so many great ministries here. Junior high ministry is rocking. It's really awesome. Maybe stepping out of your comfort zone and helping in our student ministries and or maybe to continue doing that. Or maybe there's organizations in our community that you've been wanting to help out or maybe just to donate a little time here and there. Maybe it's time to do that. What if we were a church that had the reputation in our community that we love and we serve people unconditionally? Maybe this week as we start to go back to work and the normality of life begins, we can find some continual or new ways we can serve and love each other. Amen? Amen? Let me close this in prayer. Father God, we thank you for this time this morning, Lord. We thank you that you're the ultimate example in serving each other, Lord. May we feel refreshed as we leave here, Lord, as we start a new year, a new decade, Lord. Lord, may we develop a heart to serve others, Lord, because you served us first. We love you so, so much. And we thank you. We thank you for all the stories and examples in your word that we can draw from. It's your name we pray. Amen. Well, so fun to hang out with you guys this morning. I hope you guys have a wonderful week and a happy New Year's. And I'll see you next year. Ah, that joke. <laughs>